Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now, here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, November 7th, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. Hopefully, by listening to these thought leaders, you will find inspiration and gain insights that will be useful to you in your life. Today's show promises to be a terrific one. First, I will be joined by Andrew Hayward, former president of CBS News, and later in the hour by Cheryl Proctor-Rogers, president of the Public Relations Society of America. Andrew is a featured keynote speaker. Andrew Hayward currently serves as a senior advisor to Market Space LLC, a subsidiary of Monitor Group that specializes in helping companies make effective and profitable use of digital technology to interact with their customers. He was president of CBS News from January 1996 through November 2006. That tenure of nearly 10 years is the second longest tenure in the 50-year history of CBS News. Under his leadership, the division's tradition of journalistic quality and integrity was recognized with an extraordinary number of broadcast journalism's most prestigious awards, including 57 news and documentary Emmys, 13 Peabody Awards, and the list goes on and on. And one of the things I want to speak with him about today, Andrew spearheaded CBS News' move into new media with uh, its award-winning website, cbsnews.com, which became increasingly competitive and was a leader in providing free advertiser-supported broadband video, and in 2005 underwent a major expansion in conjunction with the newly created CBS News Digital Media Group. And then he was also a key force in the establishment of the leading financial news website, CBS Market Watch, and served on its board of directors from its founding in 1997 to its acquisition by Dow Jones in January 2005. He's an award-winning producer and executive producer and has personally won 12 national Emmys, and I am so pleased that he found time to join me today. Hello, Andrew. Welcome. Hi. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. What, what a flattering introduction. I hope I can live <laughs> up to even half of it. Very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as, I want to just jump right in because as PR people, how people get their news is, uh, of course, of the utmost importance to us since it's the basis for developing an effective media strategy. We need to know how to reach the people we're looking to reach. So I thought we could sort of start by talking about the the future of the evening news since that's the pinnacle to get to people. So let's just talk about your former network, you know, CBS and hiring Katie Couric and ratings going up, going down. Can, can you tell me what, what's sort of going on right now, the landscape of the evening news? Uh, absolutely, I'll try. Uh, but as an outside observer, although admittedly an, an interested one, um, just to clarify one thing, I left... Uh, the presidency in November of 05, not 06, that was a slip of the tongue, in the otherwise fantastic introduction. So I'm, I have not been there uh, for about a year, but I was involved in the early discussions with Katie, and I think she's 
you know, a bona fide superstar, and I'm fascinated to see what's happening. Uh, before we get to the ratings, you know, my sense of it is that, that, that CBS News has made a, a bold move there, and, and you might say, well, gee, she's such a big TV star, why is that a bold move? It's bold because I think the CBS is trying to move evening news away from what was the traditional hierarchical authoritarian Walter Cronkite model, where a larger-than-life figure, and even though people might have thought of him as Uncle Walter, he was certainly, uh, you know, a, a powerful authority figure, um, basically handed down uh, the wisdom of this news organization from on high, from uh, from a pedestal, uh, mm-hmm. almost literally. Uh, certainly the desk is pretty close to a pedestal. Um, and uh, in the case of Katie, uh, there's a real move away from that model, which I call the omniscient anchor model, to a more down-to-earth character, more of a peer who admittedly has news experience and has a team around her and is making a different claim on uh, your time, Katie, uh, your, uh, Katie in the Katie Kempner sense, uh, <laughs> Katie Kirk and her team are saying, we went out while you went to school or to the office or to the factory, we went out and now we've come back and we're telling you what we found out. It's a much more humble and down-to-earth claim to authority and one that I think is completely in tune with all the trends that are happening in digital media today. So, you know, I don't want to dodge your question. I think you're going to see some volatility in the ratings in the early going because this is a real departure, and the people who like the old model, the authoritarian, we'll just tell you what happened model, Walter used to sign off his broadcast by saying, that's the way it is. That's what exactly. he said at the end of the program, which you can't imagine any figure saying in 2006. And to this new model, which is uh, much more relatable, much more accessible, but people who like the old model might at first shy away. And as I'm sure you know, in television, it's a lot easier to drive the people who like the old show away than it is to attract the new ones who take a while to find you. So I think it's way too early to make a judgment on the ratings. Uh, There was an initial spike given the wonderful uh, publicity, which the terrific PR industry helped Mm -hmm. with, um, and uh, and, and a tremendous amount of promotion that CBS uh, paid for um, and and, and got a great pop out of. And now reality is set in, which is going to be a slog in which these forces eventually find uh, an equilibrium. And uh, I give CBS credit for trying something different. Sorry to be so long-winded. I'll make my other answers shorter. <laughs> no, 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 please. It's very interesting. But now I want to ask you, because in, in an effort to get younger viewers who like their news online, my understanding is now you can also watch, after the news is over, you can watch Katie Couric online once it's aired. I mean, do you think that that's a way to go today? Well, first of all, uh, you're absolutely right, and that's an, an, uh, that is a bold move that CBS has made, and you don't even have to wait till it's over. I believe the program is actually simulcast on the web, the only one of the three. In the case of uh, Brian Williams at NBC, you can watch it uh, later, I think after 10 o'clock in your time zone, uh, you can watch it. And ABC does not even present a full broadcast online at this point. So uh, CBS is, is certainly making a daring move in, in, in that area. And in addition, Katie is the most aggressive, uh, although ABC is aggressive as well, in pushing viewers to use the website. She will constantly refer to the web, and, and, and there's, there are even some interactive features. There's a, a Friday end piece reported by Steve Hartman, uh, which is selected by the viewers. Steve gives the viewers three choices, and you have to go online and vote. And then he actually goes out and covers the story that you chose for him. So uh, I, I think CBS is certainly trying to uh, integrate the evening news into what would fashionably, fashionably now be called a multi-platform integrated strategy. And I know that jargon is not allowed on the hook, so uh, I'll keep it to a minimum. But uh, <laughs> No jargon on I the give, hook. I think now, CBS that's, is trying that's some, interesting, because some, so that's if there. you're watching the news, then you can really interact with it. But now, young people aren't, 
aren't watching the news as the the way everybody used to. You know, the time where there was ABC, CBS, NBC, and you went to one of them, and that's like you said, you listen to Walter Cronkite, you got the news. But if they're not watching TV and they're not reading newspapers and they're getting all their information online, how do you reach them and create their loyalty? Well, I think the issue, as you pointed out in your previous question, is not so much that they're not watching TV because the entire CBS Evening News is available not just when it, while it's on, but after it's on. So that if you wanted to, quote-unquote, watch the program on your computer anytime, we, we could log on right now and, and watch uh, last Friday's program if we wanted to. Or, in mm-hmm. fact, the whole previous week, I believe. So I think the, the real issue, it seems to me, is um, engaging young people in the storytelling format of the evening news, and I'll explain what I mean by that. The, uh, m- most young people, when, and we don't want to overgeneralize, but not only do they get the news from the Internet, but they're really not consuming news programs. They're, they're consuming the bits and pieces that are interesting to them. They are very, very savvy about customizing uh, their news consumption uh, to the stories they want, and they're much more likely to go to an individual story and even, even an individual piece of video than they are to sit back and say, you know, I want to watch a program. They, they are active, what they call push rather than pull um, users, or, and, and, and they are or lean forward rather than lean back. They are, they're interacting with the Internet, and it is a transaction as opposed to a passive experience. So I think the, the challenge is to really go out, you, have, you know, finding the stories and covering the stories it's what's cha- is what's challenging and difficult, in my view. You know, what's yeah. interesting and how do you tell it in an interesting way? Once you've done that, then you have to figure out how you present it, not just in multiple places. That's, that was kind of last year's cliché. Yeah. We've got to appear on multiple platforms, and the reason it's a cliché is it's true. As you point out, it's certainly happening uh, with, with CBS. But then, not only do we appear in different places, but how do we actually present the content in different ways so that a, a viewer who wants just to interact with uh, a story or part of a story or comment on the story or send a story to a friend or just see the video can do all those things. Uh, and that seems to me how you engage young people. It is very challenging because to the degree that news has become a commodity and the news personalities have not yet really emerged on the Internet the way they did as television news uh, came of age, uh, then it's not clear why somebody would go to any one brand over another. I think there are a number of trusted brands, but the fact that Yahoo, which is an aggregator, and that, who does a, a little bit of original news gathering, but very little, or mm-hmm. Google, who does, who does not, are both major news sites, tells you that the branded news content providers like CBS have a challenging time ahead of them. Yeah. You know, and that kind of, talk, that kind of raises another sort of interesting thing. The New York Times ran a story in July that, about how Dow Jones will reassess its news delivery, and it talked about this newly created committee, which will, was formed to reassess the way it delivers news across all print and online properties. And then um, following up on that, um, in Adage, there was a column entitled, Fold the Wall Street Journal, well, at least think about it. And it sounded like it was going to be more inflammatory than it was, but really the point was that possibly the time was coming where online would make the most sense for papers, and with the journal leading the pack with the largest paid subscription news site on the web, they would be the ones to do it. There's other people that think, that's crazy, I, want, I always want to get my news from TV, and I want to be able to look at my print, you know, Wall Street Journal while I'm sitting on the subway or on the train. I mean, do you see a time where the Internet will replace print editions of newspapers? I, I suppose it's conceivable, um, 
w- won't be the internet as we know it now, but as electronic readers become uh, more viable, uh, you know, Sony recently introduced you know, this reader where you can download books and, and take it with you wherever you go. As those become more viable as electronic paper, as opposed to newspapers, but electronic paper, a paper-like experience, but one that's da- you know that allows you to download text becomes more viable and affordable. You know, I think that the delivery formats could change. In the meantime, and for a long time to come, uh, I think understanding new media means embracing dynamic tensions and contradictions. I certainly plan to talk about this uh, in my uh, speech at PRSA uh, next Monday. The uh, and, and here's the kind of, you've, you've singled a very important one, which is you have to respect your core audience and your core business, which mm-hmm. generates for these newspapers and for certainly television networks still an enormous amount of revenue and cash flow, which is desperately needed for innovation and for investment in, in new technologies. You have to respect your core audience and your core business, even as you find new audiences where those new audiences might be. Exactly the point you were making earlier about finding young people who aren't going to watch the evening news on television no matter what. So the first thing is manage that contradiction or, or, or manage that dynamic tension between your existing business and the new business. You can't abandon the existing one because the new one doesn't yet generate the kind of revenue that you're making uh, on the old one. So you have to wean yourself, even as the audience weans itself, off the old habits uh, to the new ones. And, it, and it's not as sexy as saying, okay, as of tomorrow, we're, you know, going to just you know, snap our fingers and uh, you know, the apple pie turns into a milkshake. It doesn't work mm-hmm. that way. Um, so th- there's, going to be, uh, there's going to be that process. And the other dynamic uh, tension, the other contradiction I think you have to embrace is the one you alluded to before, which is between the passive experience of sitting back and consuming news as it's been created for you, or at least shaped and filtered for you, by the editors of the Wall Street Journal or the editors of the CBS Evening News, or creating your own news by using powerful tools that already exist to filter and shape the news for you. One of the huge changes that's happening uh, is that uh, people increasingly are becoming their own editors and content creators. So if you think about it, everything that used to be uh, a monopoly or an oligopoly of these traditional news providers, content creation, content filtering, and then content distribution are now up for grabs. I mean, you and yeah. I could get together this afternoon and we could start a viable publishing entity ourselves. We could create some content. The tools for that exist. Uh, we could also uh, easily obtain tools for filtering other content that's out there on the Internet, and we could distribute it. Uh, and Katie it. and Andrew's blog, <laughs> if we did it well enough, could be a compelling news source literally overnight. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll be over in a couple of minutes. As soon as this is over, I'll, I'll head over there. Sounds good. But, you know, that raises an interesting point because, and something that a PR person really worries about because, you know, with people being able to do that and creating how they want to get their news, how does the quote-unquote real news rise to the top? Well, the, the, that's a fantastic question. Um, I think the, I have an optimistic theory about this, but I also recognize that it might, might be controversial. And certainly, you know, uh, you know you're, this program is airing on Election Day, which argues against my optimistic view. But my optimistic view is that uh, authenticity uh, is eventually going to trump hype and spin. Uh, and we can talk, if you want to, Katie, in a minute about how that's going to, in my view, change the PR industry. But... Uh, because that the consumer, especially one who wants to educate herself or wants to be informed, has mm-hmm. access to tremendous amounts of information that certainly were either unavailable or certainly largely inaccessible when I, when I was growing up, uh, mm-hmm. because the consumer is so empowered, 
uh, it's going to be much harder to fool her across a broader array of subjects. I don't think you or I would dream of buying a car without knowing certainly the invoice price and probably a little bit more digging the actual wholesale price that the dealer paid. We certainly wouldn't dream of buying a flat-screen TV without knowing not only what the best one is according to a peer, I'm sorry, a group of, of experts, including citizens who reviewed these things online, and uh, the wisdom of the crowd would speak to us as we choose that TV set. Uh, but also what the price ought to be, and we would shop around without leaving our house. So we're empowered in those areas, and I think it's going to be harder for companies to make, it goes back to what I was saying about the news people making a claim, just because we're CBS, you should trust us, gives way to, we did the work. I think the same thing applies to companies. It's going to be harder for them to say, just because you know our brand, you, you should trust us or trust our products, because there are just too many checks and balances. So I think the real news gets to the top, by the crowd, the, the, the community, uh, correcting the impressions, impressions that are false. And along with that, unfortunately, comes you know, a lot of bad information that we, you know, the optimistic view says will eventually be weeded out by, by accurate information. But it poses a fascinating challenge. The reason I say Election Day is an exception is, you know, I'm sure you were equally dismayed as I am by the um, uh, overwhelming number of negative ads that really aren't terribly informative about the issues. And people say they don't like them, but of course the research shows that they're very effective. And I think the reason they are is people are disengaged from politics for the most part. They have, have a very cynical view of Congress, and, of, and that's certainly documented in poll after poll. And therefore, yeah. because they have chosen to remain, well, the kind word would be disengaged and the unkind word would be ignorant, about politics, they're susceptible to the ultimate in hype and spin. So if I'm right, politics is a laggard here, and that eventually a new kind of political leader is going to emerge who truly is an authentic character, um, as opposed to somebody who's a manufactured creature. But we're, you know, that's happening in television. I think it's going to happen in corporate life. It hasn't yet happened in politics. I, I certainly, I agree with you, and I certainly hope that you're right about that. But now, what do you think, you know, you sort of mentioned you'd get to this, what do you think that means for the PR industry and PR practitioners? Well, again, my mantra is embrace the contradictions. So the, mm -hmm. the traditional uh, PR models, you know, which includes... You know, I don't like sports metaphors, but playing offense and defense effectively uh, are still going to apply. And the, the linear model of you know, putting out a company's message across traditional platforms is still going to be with us for a long time to come. So you're still going to have um, you know, the usual kind of, uh, uh, you know, you're still going to have press releases and marketing events and press conferences and, 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 and so on. And, uh, and on defense, there's still going to be, you know, the traditional... Uh, you know, what do we say when there's a problem? And, you know, what do we say when the reporter calls? And these are very important things. And I, you know, unlike some journalists, so I think have a poorly thought through uh, antipathy to the public relations industry. Uh, I think the public rela relations industry, even though I can't pronounce it, is vital <laughs> to, uh, to a proper communications in this country. I think it's, you know, and, and, and ethical public relations people, and the vast majority who I worked with are indeed ethical, you know, are actually, you know, very honest and authentic, and they are paid to represent and to put forward, the, you know, the best interests of, of their employer, and often that just means putting out, you know, uh, good information. But I think the new part is going to be mm -hmm. that, you know, being willing to actually get down in the mud, and I don't mean mud slinging, but get down in the trenches with the new voices uh, of uh, the citizenry uh, who are also now engaging directly with large American companies, people who did not have voices before, 
now have the ability to, as we said earlier, when Andrew and Katie start their, their blog later today, communicate and if, if they have something interesting to say, to spread virally around the Internet and be heard. And I think that they're you know, engaging with the blogosphere um, and, and having a strategy for uh, you know, offense and defense in the new digital realm is going to be critical for PR people. And if I'm right, that there's going to be more of a premium on authenticity and less on spin because there are so many checks and balances that make spin less effective, then that is certainly going to change the equation somewhat, especially for those who have prided themselves on, you know, being dexterous spinners as opposed to promulgators of the truth. You know, and that's really very, and that, that touches on consumer empowerment and expertise, you know, sort of in online engagement. And what I wanted to ask you also about, that's something that, at Kristen Porter Bogusky, we think about all the time because it is no longer the situation where you put your commercial out there and it, it it is what it is. Now, I mean, you know, some of our best stuff has come from things we've put on YouTube, things we've put on MySpace that people interact with or sites that we've put together for our clients that people go to and engage with because they want to. And that's exactly right. Yeah, the, the, one of the sort of evangelists of citizen journalism, uh, Jeff Jarvis, likes to say it's not a lecture, it's a conversation. And I think that applies to public relations as well. It's going to be a conversation. And, and, and you're also going to have to take some risks. When you put something out on YouTube you sh- or, or something that you think at least might end up on YouTube, you have no idea not only whether it's going to be popular, but you, are, you have no idea whether it's going to um, be uh, altered or parodied. You're, it is a much, much riskier environment. And I think the smartest corporate clients are going to recognize this and understand that controlling the message is a pipe dream lodged in the last century. Yeah, that's, and that's what we talk about a lot now, too. Now, I wanted to, just because I have you here talking to me, I wanted to talk to you for a second about television viewership. I'm, I'm actually totally changing the subject here, but about that's television okay, viewership. <laughs> and, and sort of its fractured audience, like we were talking about before with the news. But even the shows and networks with the highest ratings aren't anywhere where they used to be. And they're forced to examine how they measure their viewership and how they charge for their advertising. And, you know, everyone talks about TiVo and DVR. Do, do you anticipate a time when consumers choose and, and say, like, I will have 48 hours, one of the shows I know that you created brought to me by Volkswagen or Virgin Atlantic Airways, or I'll have the Super Bowl brought to me by Nike or Bud, or I'm going to pay for it? Well, I, I think... Uh, it- there, all these models are going to be tested, and there'll be a kind of Darwinian showdown, and some of them are going to prevail, but I think a lot of them are going to exist side by side. The Super Bowl is really an, a, a class by itself because it's, you know, it's not really, it's really kind of TiVo-proof. It's a, it is, there's a huge community that, that watches it. It's hard to picture living in America where you couldn't watch the Super Bowl for free with commercials, yeah. but... Uh, I think a lot of other programs are going to be available, and you're already seeing this, Katie, in, in multiple ways. They, you know, they're, ava- they're available now on uh, you know, many cable systems offer them on demand uh, after the fact. Uh, there, uh, there's a not, quite a few programs uh, available online now uh, after, after they've been on the air. And uh, the challenge is going to be to continue to 
monetize these programs so that there's a critical mass of funding for the highest quality productions. That's a pretentious way of saying it, but what I mean is, let's take 60 Minutes, or News, the area I know best. 60 Minutes is a terrific program. It's an expensive program. They, they, there's a reason those stories are as thoroughly researched as they are, because guess what? They're thoroughly researched. That's taken weeks and weeks to do. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that level of reporting and the level of reporter who works on 60 Minutes on both sides of the camera doesn't come cheap, uh, to put it mildly. So right now, uh, that's paid for by the over-the-air product and the advertising that wants to be associated with the elite audience that watches 60 Minutes. But, you know, it's, it, it, it is a somewhat older audience. Um, and like all network television, as you point out, you know, over time, the audience has, has certainly diminished. So um, how do you sustain that critical mass uh, to enable the highest level of television production, whether it be 60 Minutes or Grey's Anatomy, um, to continue. Dramas can cost easily up, uh, upwards of $2 million an hour now. Um, and I think that's going to be a challenge. On the other hand, if you look at the billions of dollars that are spent on advertising and marketing in this country, you know, that, that is a huge engine of the economy. And they're going to find expression somewhere and somehow. I think we just have to be prepared for you know, a very engaging, interactive ride over the next few years where uh, we have to test these different models, and it's going to be a much more complicated world where the funding um, and the funding and the revenues are both mm-hmm. much more fragmented as you aggregate audiences in different ways um, uh, to try to reach critical mass. Yeah, I agree. So now just quickly... You gave us a little taste of what you're going to talk about about at the PRSA conference. Anything else you can tell us about your uh, upcoming speech? Well, I'm, I think the, the, the big theme uh, that, that fascinates me, and it's one that really uh, runs through this conversation that you and I have had, is consumer empowerment. So I'm going to try to track uh, the rise of consumer empowerment through the history of television news, I hope in a colorful, interesting way, and then tie that into the world of today, including the world of public relations. That sounds like very, very exciting. Well, you know, I wanted to, we're, we're out of time, but there's one question that I like to ask my guests. Um, you, have, you have and have had such an interesting and distinguished career, and I'm just wondering if you have any personal philosophies that have guided you that might be useful to someone listening who's starting out or not happy where they are in their career. I think, well, those are two very different things. Um, I, I think if you're not happy in your career, uh, my advice there is to do something very, very basic, and I actually have, you know, done this for myself and been talking to my friends about it too. Which is actually take a, a these old-fashioned implement called a pen uh, <laughs> and a piece of paper and make a list of kind of three columns, and that is, you know, in my job, and the first column is these are the must-haves. And then the middle column is what I'd like to have, other things being equal. And the third column is don't really care. And don't censor yourself. If, 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 you, if you say, look, I must live in Phoenix, then that's fine. And may put that in the must-have as long as you are an adult and understand that that means that you're not going to anchor the news in New York. Guess what? You can't. You live in Phoenix. In other words, you've made certain choices that preclude other choices. But making a list like that... As it may even sound sort of silly, it's so basic, but I think it actually helps focus you on what you should be doing because it's going to enable you to create a hierarchy of choices, and it's much less confusing than just going out and thinking, well, I don't know about this, I don't know about that, and it'll also help you identify why you are unhappy and, and, and where you might be uh, happier. In terms of you know, what I think is just a general 
piece of wisdom that I wish you know I had kind of acquired or stumbled on earlier is mm-hmm. to somehow find the right balance between accepting the rules and breaking them. You you have to, especially if you work in any kind of organization, you have to play by the rules, especially the rules of ethics and integrity. I think that there's nothing more important than that. But you also have to play by the rules of the organization. At the same time, especially in the complicated world that you and I are trying to explore today, it's changing so rapidly, especially the world of media where you, where you and I work, that you also have to be flexible enough to think about things in an entirely different way. And there isn't enough contrarian thinking in American corporate life. It's shocking that the great innovation innovations come from outside small companies. Shocking in the sense, uh, I'm sorry, outside the big companies. Shocking mm-hmm. in the sense that there's so much money invested in these big companies in R&D and in their organizations. You think, why don't they have more ideas? When you think about it, it's really not shocking at all because the way they're structured, they propagate themselves and they tend to be modeled on what they did yesterday rather than what they should be doing tomorrow. Well, that is terrific advice and I want to just say thank you so much. This was great. I enjoyed speaking to you so much. Well, it's my pleasure as well and I look forward to our blog. I hope the audience likes it as much as we already do. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for joining me, Andrew. And my uh, we'll be back right after this. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break. Are you getting the most out of your online advertising? Now get more from your media spend with superior real-time targeting and creative optimization technology. Get more now from Casali Media. Casali Media. Save big as Casali Media's ad experts place your premium campaigns across the web's hottest properties at the most competitive rates. Want more? Get, get more. more. Visit casalimedia.com slash more to request your media kit. Casali Media. Advertising online is better here. Casali Media. Generating buzz for your company is essential and now easier than ever with Paper Post, the consumer-generated advertising network. Our powerful network of bloggers at Paper Post will creatively expose your product or service through original link-generated ads and embedding video or audio on their sites. Launch your viral marketing campaigns with confidence and enjoy increased traffic with higher conversion rates only through Paper Post. Visit PaperPost.com and join the revolution. Viva la revolution! Google AdSense. How do I earn from thee? Let me count the ways. Google, you enable me to show targeted ads complementing my site so my visitors keep clicking throughout the day and night. It was so easy to apply and select the ad formats I liked. Since I've discovered AdSense, I've been filled with delight. So earn more with matching ads, and you too can discover how. Just visit google.com slash AdSense now. Google.com slash AdSense. Attention webmasters. Wish you could convert more web traffic into cash? No need to rub a lamp. Just click on GenieKnows.com. Install a search box on your site or incorporate paid listings XML into search results. And at your command, GenieKnows.com pays cash for each result your users click on. Enjoy prompt payment and superior customer service. Earn even more through our referral program. GenieKnows has delivered results. G-E-N-I-E-K-N-O-W-S.com. 
Now, experience the future of web design and development with a whole new level of efficiency, expressiveness, and simplified workflow. Introducing Studio 8, a compilation of the latest releases from Dreamweaver, Flash Professional, Fireworks, Contribute, and Flash Paper. Sure to inspire you to create superior online video sites and mobile content. And now, through this exclusive WebmasterRadio.fm offer, listeners can save a whopping $100 off Studio 8. Visit the online store at adobe.com or contact Adobe Customer Services and provide promo code Webmaster Radio in order to receive your discount. Studio 8, your way to create. It's all about links, baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, TextLinkAds.com. Click Tracks, all new version 6. Prepare to segment your visitors and build custom reports on the fly with the most comprehensive and intuitive web analytics programs on the planet. Dan Noyes, president of Zephoria.com, writes, Click Tracks is like a religion to us. We rarely consult our clients on site or campaign changes without first seeing what Click Tracks reveals. Sign up for your free trial today. Your only risk, you may end up in our next commercial. ClickTracks.com, turning your future into a fortune. incredibly entertaining. I want to ask you a question that comes with controversy. Oh, now you're really tapping into it, Byron. See, now you get a chance to ask all the questions that you always wanted to know. Even better, this is going to be podcast so we can listen and laugh later. This is one of your favorite things. Keep it simple, stupid. Tiger, tiger, tiger. Yeah, no question. I think it was tiger, 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 tiger. <laughs> he is the name. I mean, he is what golf is uh, resting on right now. <laughs> I think he's a great team player. He did buy his wife a new yacht. Yeah, well, for that team, he's doing well. Yeah. But... <laughs> Get to know Melanie Mayer on Life Tips, Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific, only on webmasterradio.fm. Cyberspace, the final frontier. These are the voyages of your new business enterprise. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new domains, to seek out new sites and new monetizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. WebmasterRadio.fm. So logical. You'll go out of your Vulcan mind. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's your host. 
Welcome back. I'm Katie Kempner, and you're listening to The Hook. My next guest, Cheryl Proctor-Rogers, currently runs a Chicago-based national public relations practice, a step-ahead public relations. She counsels clients in the areas of integrated marketing communications, community relations, and public affairs, strategic planning, special events, planning, internal communications, and media relations. For more than nine years, she was a member of the corporate affairs team for HBO, Home Box Office, and prior to HBO, she was a public relations consultant in the Chicago area, and her clients included Sears, Roebuck & Company, Nissan North America, Allstate Insurance, HBO, and McDonald's. Cheryl is the 2006 National President and Chief Executive Officer of the Public Relations Society of America, and she joins us on the eve of the PRSA's annual conference. Cheryl, welcome. Thank you so much, Katie. I'm just delighted to be with you today. Well, I'm especially honored that you took the time because you must be so busy with the conference coming up. Well, I have been burning the midnight oil. (laughs) Well, I thought we could get to the conference in a little while, but, you know... There are so many issues facing the public relations industry today that I was hoping you could just give me your point of view on some of them. Um, One of the first things is the issue of ethics, and Andrew Hayward was just on, and he was talking about ethics and PR people and sort of the challenges we face as an industry when it comes to ethics. I mean, that's a very overall arching, uh, you know, word, but what, what is your viewpoint on this? Well, Katie, every business and every business person will at some point face an ethical dilemma. Do you hire someone from your competitor because he or she promises to reveal confidential information? Do you release information knowing that critical facts are being omitted? You know, defining um, business ethics is, is not for the meek because you have to ask tough questions and you must have your own set of values and beliefs. And hopefully you're working with an organization that matches those values and beliefs. Yeah. I mean, it's especially interesting time um, to talk about it on Election Day, to talk about, you know, ethics when you look at political advertising and, you know, PR spin doctors that are sort of working within politics. It kind of gives PR as a whole a bad name, wouldn't you say? Well, I don't think it gives PR as a whole a bad name. I think what it does is it brings light to the importance of ethical behavior. And the good news is that PRSA has quite a competency in the area of ethics. It was back in the 1950s that PRSA actually developed its code of ethics. And then most recently in 2000, the code was revised and approved by the PRSA Assembly at its annual meeting. And the code quite simply provides for the free flow of information, mm-hmm. healthy and fair competition, mm-hmm. and of course disclosure of information, especially critical information that helps people make decisions. And then, of course, we want to safeguard confidences. We want to absolutely reveal any conflicts of interest. Yeah. And ultimately, all of these tenants will help enhance the public relations profession. I completely agree with you. It's wonderful that the PRSA goes to, to make codes like that. Um, we, there are so many things I wanted to touch on with you that I'm just going to sort of breeze along and get your input on each one, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. Well, another big issue that's facing 
public relations industry and the advertising industry right now is, is one of that of diversity. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, my gosh. I mean, diversity is a, is a business strategy, Katie. Mm-hmm. Diversity programs really represent a way for companies to fuel growth by tapping into fast-growing multicultural markets. And, you know, much is, much is said about the importance of reaching these untapped um, resources of diverse markets, but the public relations professional must embrace diversity as a strategy. And without question, diversity has been proven that with a solid strategy, an organization, an organization can sustain a competitive advantage. Does the PRSAs have any sort of code on diversity? Well, you know, we don't have a code on diversity, but I think it just, you know, diversity speaks to the the golden rule Mm -hmm. of simply doing the right thing. But unfortunately, Katie, it's not enough to have good intentions. The public relations professional should be serving as a moral compass for our companies and our clients. And so, therefore, we're charged with creating environments where diversity is celebrated each and every day. You know, if your company or client Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is providing a product or service and they don't have the perspective of multicultural groups represented in the companies or in the firms that represent them, I mean, their long-term business success is questionable. Embracing diversity gives an organization, as I said, a competitive advantage in the marketplace. And you alluded to it um, earlier, this whole notion of, you know, um, where, where is diversity? How, how, how has the needle moved over the last 5, 10, 20 years? And, you know, there has been a, an assault launched against the advertising industry for their lack of diversity. But I have to tell you, the public relations industry is no model. But the work of PRSA's National Diversity Initiative is supporting and helping chapters and other aspects of our organization move the needle a bit. And what are they doing? We have a very comprehensive program where we have developed, under the leadership of our past diversity chair, Rosanna Fisk, mm-hmm. a toolkit. And within that toolkit is the who, what, when, where, and how to really um, encourage diversity and reach out to diverse audiences to um, encourage them to become members of the chapters and get involved. Now also, you... there... I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Cheryl. <laughs> also, there is a job bank which identifies multicultural practitioners mm-hmm. so that there's no longer that excuse of, well, we just don't know where to find the multicultural practitioner. Oh, that's interesting, and that's within the PRSAs. Yes, and we do have a, a, a website devoted to that, and it can be linked from PRSA.org website, if I can okay. get a little plug in. <laughs> <laughs> Consider it in. No, so. I wanted to ask you one more thing, because I was talking to you before, uh, earlier today, we were sort of discussing what we were going to talk about, and you said something that was so interesting to me, and you said, let's talk about the trap of confirmation bias. Oh, my gosh. As, you know, public relations professionals, we must be of the world, not disinterested bystanders only awaken when a crisis comes along or demands are presented for diversity in our departments or on our account teams. Mm-hmm. And you're right. We cannot be trapped by confirmation bias. And that is 
only reading material, only attending events, only joining organizations, only hiring employees that speak to our own backgrounds, experience, and beliefs. Katie, it's when we screen out information we don't agree with. Yeah. And, and oftentimes I do speak to members of PRSA about the unintended consequences of confirmation bias, not only on us individually, but certainly on our nation. And the result can only be more intolerance and even less understanding of our differences. So what do you suggest then as a PR professional, you know, within a company or within an agency, what do you suggest to sort of not allow yourself to fall into that trap? Well, you must come outside of your comfort zone, and you must look to expand your view of the world. I mean, you know, thanks to the Internet and TiVo and Sirius Satellite Radio, great, great advances. But one can have their biases validated daily by self-selection. So certainly when you um, think about the critical problem for the public relations professional, I mean, how do you help an organization or a client tap new markets and fuel growth when in our current society the consumer can control the content as well as the amount and rate of information they receive every day? And so if you're also a victim of that personally, because mm-hmm. you're not, um, you don't have access to different points of views and, and you're not attending different cultural events and you're not reading a variety of publications that have varying points of view, then how can you adequately um, uh, counsel your employer or your client? That's an excellent, that's an excellent point. Um, you know, and and. You're, you're so eloquent when you speak about the different issues that face the public relations industry. I, I mean, clearly I can see why you're the head of the PRSA. That was probably a very easy choice for everybody to make. I, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your role with the PRSA. Well, you know, the, the um, opportunity to serve in this capacity is one that um, I aspire to probably about three or four years ago when I joined, um, when I was elected to the national board. And being on the national board, you get an opportunity to really um, work closely with different parts of the Public Relations Society of America. And that is, we have over 21,000 members and um, over 8,000 students, student members, So with that comes a great, we have an infrastructure where a a member can um, be in a section that speaks to their particular industry. So we have the food and beverage section or the um, sports and entertainment section. And then we also have a, a, a variety of committees that are really working hard to advocate for our profession and to help, really help shape and define what it is we do. So when you have an opportunity to experience the passion of all of these volunteer leaders, it just becomes contagious. And that was the reason why I decided to become a candidate for national president. That's fantastic. And now is one of, the, one of your roles with being a president, with being the president, to help plan this upcoming conference? Well, you know, it's part, it's a team, Katie. I can't mm-hmm. really take responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly the president leads, 
and, um, and, and perhaps has a vision as I did for this particular conference, but that vision just lays dormant unless there are some volunteer leaders that say, you know what, I buy into that vision and I want to help see it through. And I have to tell you, the International Conference Committee took that vision well beyond what I could have ever imagined. And what the attendees will experience will not only be quality professional development seminars, Katie, but they're going to hear from some of the leaders, uh, media leaders in our industry, and will come away with some really um, uh, tools that they can put in their tool uh, kit as they um, come back to work after they leave Salt Lake. Well, what is the overall vision for the conference this year? Well, the overall vision was to really focus and and highlight some of the key areas that impact our industry. And mm-hmm. for the um, for the public relations professional, we have seen the public relations uh, function taking a more leadership role within organizations. So, how do we advance that leadership opportunity? And what tools do we need? And what can we take advantage of? So that's one of our themes for Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then we've also. Um, it's so exciting to be engaged in a public debate about what it is we do and the value of it. You spoke earlier about the whole issue of ethics. Well, I mean, it's a great time to when everyone's focused on something such as ethics and in the public relations arena. Let's join in that debate and let's maximize the value of the attention that is being put on our profession and help to teach and correct misperceptions. So what we're going to do on Monday is maximizing value and we're going to get into specializations and integration and some other aspects of our profession and, that, and things that are happening in the business world that we need to just make sure that we're on top of as professionals. And then finally, on Tuesday, we mm-hmm. want everyone to leave the conference thinking ahead. Okay, you've, got, you've had an opportunity to hear from some of our speakers, and I'll, I'll remind um, the, your audience of who some of those speakers are. Please but, do. And then on, um, on Tuesday, we want to look forward. So what are the emerging trends? That's our theme for Tuesday. What can we look for in the area of diversity? What are going to be the results of the midterm elections? I mean, what is going to be the impact of those elections? And what impact is it going to have on the public relations profession? So we'll have some political pundits to kind of review that for us. We'll also take a a look at technology and how technology is going to impact what we do and how we communicate with one another. I mean, I have a a teenage daughter um, at home who is, um, has a, a MySpace page and is communicating quite frequently uh, with her on her telephone. And guess what, Katie? She's not talking. She's just instant messaging and text messaging. Yeah. Well, it's a new world. I mean, I was talking with Andrew Hayward, and he was telling us a little bit about what he was going to say in his keynote address. Oh, yes, he's going to be with us on Monday. I'm so excited. On Monday. Oh, yeah, he's such an interesting guy. Who who are some of the other um, keynote speakers that we can expect to uh, see at the conference? 
Well, Tavis Smiley, who is the host of Tavis Smiley, and he's on, um, on PBS and NPR. I mean, Tavis Smiley is an advocate for change and equality, and he utilizes the media to educate and ignite passion and engage his listeners and viewers in causes that affect uh, not only the African-American community, but the world. And um, so we're really delighted that we will hear from him, as well as John Meacham, who is an, an author and is currently the Newsweek editor. And he's one of the youngest editors at, at a business publication. And so he brings um, a fresh perspective and uh, on the media and the impact that the public relations has on the media. So we're really interested in hearing from those speakers as well. And we are going to have a couple of what we call coffee and conversations with. And that's going to give the attendees an opportunity to start their day learning something interesting about the state of Utah. About Utah? Yes. So there's going to be um, someone from Sundance, someone from the um, Mormon community, and and others that will help to um, really inform and... um, hopefully uh, intrigue our our attendees early in the morning. We want to get them up pretty early for those. Now, let me ask you a question. You know, if you're a PR practitioner who's a consultant or works with a small firm, are you going to get the same kind of thing, the same information out of the conference as if, you know, you work for Edelman or some huge company, or will you sort of be lost in the shuffle? Oh, my gosh, no. The one thing about our international conference is it is it really fits the needs of everyone. And because of the um, variety of professional development workshops that are held, and, and, and an individual can really tailor the conference to their own personal needs. But most importantly, Katie, it's an opportunity for for an individual, uh, whether they are a sole practitioner working at their kitchen table or, as you say, are, uh, are leading a 25-member team in a huge um, public relations agency or department, it gives them an opportunity to network with their peers. Mm-hmm. And most of us, just because of our busy schedules, we don't really have a lot of time to do that. So the international conference also gives our members a chance to to benchmark um, with with the best in, in in the business and to develop those relationships and that network that will serve them well long after they leave Salt Lake City. So one last thing about the conference, and what are you most looking forward to after the conference? I would say the meeting of new friends and the opportunity to connect with some that I haven't seen in quite a while and to learn about some of the things that they're doing and benchmark um, with them some of the strategies and that are really um, being, that are bringing them success, and then I'll learn from that. 
You know, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you're in such a unique position being the president of the PRSAs, and there's so many issues, and we talked about some of them, ethics, diversity, um, that are happening in PR today, but I also think it's an incredibly exciting time to be in this industry, and I'm wondering, and this is another very broad question, which I apologize for ahead of time, but what do you sort of see as the future of PR? Well, I think that we are uniquely poised to really help lead our our organizations through this um, time of uncertainty. Um, Because we are the moral compass of our organizations, we can help guide guide them through the ethical uh, minefields that are out there. Because just quite frankly, Katie, uh, you know, I think about sometimes when I was on the golf course once and um, I whiffed the ball, I, I thought I hit it, but I didn't. The ball was still there. And um, the person I was golfing with says, oh, we don't have to count that as a stroke. You know, you, that was, you hardly ever do that. And, you know, by the time I got to the, to the next hole, I just thought, you know what? <laughs> I've got to add this stroke. It just doesn't feel right not to do it. And I know nobody else knows. I know nobody else was looking, but I know. But the thing about ethics is that sometimes it doesn't feel bad. And so mm-hmm. it's really um, hard to um, always know. And so PRSA has developed on its website um, a matrix of, of eth- uh, ethical dilemmas uh, for people to review and solutions that they might uh, consider when being in those situations. Well, being more on um, going more now to, da- to sort of day to day, I would be remiss because whenever I have you know such an accomplished PR person on my show as a PR a person myself and the people that listen to my show, I feel that I need to garner as many tips as possible. So just changing gears to a little more day-to-day, what do you think are the top three mistakes that people in PR make? Hmm. Not listening. Mm-hmm. And listening is really a skill that needs to, that must be developed. Uh, when, when, when we don't listen, when we hear only you know, partial information, you know, goes back to that confirmation bias, kind of hearing what you want to hear <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and moving in that direction. Uh, you end up doing a lot of rework or just missing the mark for your employer or for your client. I think um, uh, uh, number two hmm, would be not understanding the importance of and um, not only understanding the organization for which you, which you work, mm-hmm. but also understanding quite a bit about the entire industry and um, the, um, the co- competitive landscape. Many times I find that um, professionals will know, oh, my gosh, they could tell you everything about their organization or their client in their sleep, but when it comes to what is the competitor doing, unless it's a very visual competitor where everybody knows what the competitor is doing, yeah. that um, we become a little lax on the research um, side of, of what we do. And then finally, I would say, um, you know, sometimes underestimating the power and the value of what it is we do as professionals. 
Um, sometimes we get really, um, we start out with the strategy and then we get uh, really consumed with, um, you know, the implementation or execution where we're really into the tactics. And, and we, we forget the, the, the power and the influence that we have uh, within our organization. And what's the number one thing that somebody can do right, like the best tip you could give somebody in PR? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, stay awake. You know, <laughs> you know I, I don't know, Katie. That's a, that's a really good question, and, and I don't know that I have one answer. I think the, the number one thing I would say would be to just um, – be committed to lifelong learning. That's great. And that kind of leads me into my very last question, which is, and I ask, when I have people on the show, I, I like to ask them this, this one thing, and I think you're at a really unique vantage point because you see so many people in, in the public relations profession, but it's not just for PR, it's really for anything. I mean, do you have any any career advice or personal philosophies that have helped guide you throughout your career that might be useful to people listening? Well, I, I always tell professionals and students to plant your tree of opportunity and that if you, know, if you can imagine a tree, the roots of that tree are your passion. And if what you're doing is not rooted in your personal passion, then the tree would die, correct? Correct. And so the roots should be in your passion, and the trunk of that tree should be all of the things that, that bring you joy. And in the case of public relations, it would be, you know, you love to, to write, so you want to do internal communications and media relations, or you love to plan, so you're really interested in um, uh, special events, or you love a crisis, you know, and you like to solve problems and be in the midst of uh, solving crises. Um, so you determine how thick your, the trunk of your tree is going to be, and it doesn't matter how thick or how small that trunk, as long as it's rooted in your passion. And then I think the other um, aspect of thinking about our career that we don't do often enough is how many branches are on that tree. And many times we limit ourselves um, by our own circumstances or, you know, staying within those comfort zones, don't want to take any risk. You know, I don't mean reckless risk. I mean strategic risk. Mm -hmm. But to look at all of the opportunities where you have become an expert and, and, again, rooted in your passion, those branches on that tree representing all of the different opportunities that are out there in the world for you to explore. The wonderful thing about the public relations profession is that the combinations of what you can do are limitless. And it, it's just as, as creative as, as you can be because public relations offers everyone an opportunity to totally be immersed in something that they love and not have a clue how to do it, but, <laughs> but have an impact um, in some way on that um, particular profession or that particular industry. Cheryl, thank you so much. Good luck with your conference, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate the opportunity, Katie. Thank you for having me. 
Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thanks to Andrew Hayward and to you for listening. Please, whatever you do with the rest of your day, if you haven't already, go vote. Have a great day. Bye-bye.